Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I will always produce harm in me if my soul is not in harmony. God created us to be holistic beings and for our heart, mind, and body to be fully integrated, fully on the same purpose and mission together, and not divided. So in 2017, we were about a year, year and a half into our church plant, Passion Creek Church, and I really hit a rough spot. I did not enjoy ministry like I used to. I, um, Jordan, I, I'm known as an optimist on the Enneagram. I'm a seven. I just am always glass half full kind of guy. And I was not that. I don't know how long the season was, but it was longer than I'd like to admit. And it was tough. And I really used that season. I never, I always knew I wasn't going to quit, but I asked God, I said, God, I want to do something different. I don't want this for the rest of my life. Uh, ministry just has a way to beat you up and a way to, to make you lose your passion because people leave, um, you know, expectations aren't met and all sorts of things. But I realized my biggest problem wasn't so much depression, but it was disintegration. What I mean is nothing was integrated in, in my life. It wasn't all unified and going in one direction. My soul was fragile. My soul wasn't healthy. I knew certain things about my mind, but my body wasn't putting forth the practices of Jesus. My heart wasn't always there, and they weren't all in unison. And I would just study and study and study and read the scriptures, and yet I would still leave feeling empty. I would leave feeling discouraged. And thankfully, by God's grace, I always had just enough motivation to preach on Sundays, but I hated right after, and I hated Monday. Never call a pastor on a Monday. They're just in a bad mood, usually. And, and I knew something had to change. And then I, I knew I wasn't whole. I knew I wasn't healthy. And so I began to study people like Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson and Robert Mulholland and Thomas Ashbrook. And I realized that I was missing something that was really crucial, understanding what the practices of Jesus can do for my soul. Understanding, maybe even, yes, one way to put it is obedience, but it felt like something even more, understanding what we're going to call the practices of Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. I believe in the scriptures, anytime it references the soul, um, a lot of people have a misinterpretation of what soul means, especially because we're influenced by Plato. You know, you have like the, uh, the cartoon where, you know, the soul leaves the body and it's like looking out. And a lot of times we kind of, you know, uh, treat it as it's our spirit. At the end of the day, our soul is what integrates our heart, mind, and body. So your soul, how is your soul doing? Well, you answer that by how is your heart doing, how is your mind doing, and your body. And when they're all together and following the way of Jesus, your soul is doing well. So it's really helpful for us to know that Jesus came to redeem all those things. I put it this way in your notes. Jesus came to bring redemption to our hearts, revelation to our minds, and resurrection to our bodies. In the Western culture, we tend to only focus, some people just focus on the heart, and some just focus on the mind, and some would say legalistic churches maybe just focus on the body by just doing enough good deeds, that kind of thing. There's really so much joy, though, when you do all those things together. And so what I was kind of trained to do by guys like Dallas Willard is to reread the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but this time read it also 
uh, not just as like, okay, the plan of salvation, but also to read it as a biography. So to start really noticing, okay, how did Jesus live? We talk a lot about his death and his resurrection and the hope that we have from that. But what about reading about his life and his habits that he had? Right? I started noticing that Joseph, uh, Joseph, who's that? That Jesus was slow. He was always walking. He was always willing to be interrupted, right? Jesus was, was always spending time with just a few people, but then he always, it seems like he always went alone at night to pray all night. He fasted. He rested and Sabbath. So, like, you start to pick up these rhythms and you start to realize that, that Jesus was modeling for us a way to live. The way I like to put it is Jesus doesn't just offer us a better way to life. Jesus offers us a better way of life. And that for me is when the light bulb turned on and recognizing that we have the opportunity to personalize the lifestyle of Jesus or what we're going to talk about tonight, personalize the practices of Jesus. And this is why we ask you to take the Enneagram because the last thing we want to do is to make a cookie cutter, mass produced disciple where it's okay. Every person here, you have to read in the mornings because that's the holy thing to do. I kind of agree with, but whatever. Unite people are weird, right? You have to fast. With some people, that doesn't work. It, it's kind of, you know, you have to do this. Now, there are some things you, you have to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd never want this to turn into giving. No, that's not for me. I'm, I'm a type. Whatever. It's like, what? You know, you see what I'm saying? So, but there are some freedoms. There are certain acts of obedience that Jesus is not even a command, but it's an invitation. He's saying life is better if you do this. You don't have to do it, but life is so much better when you do it. Okay, so what we're going to look at is your, how are you unique and how is God calling you to personalize the practices of Jesus? In order for us to do that, for us to be whole, I put this in your notes, in order for us to become fully alive, we must first become fully aware. Theologians throughout history always talk about that. We need to know God. In order to know God, we actually have to know ourselves. John Calvin has this quote. He says, Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And that's why for us, there's many different tools you can use, but for us, the Enneagram seems to be the most helpful. Here's why. I mentioned with the soul, it's about your heart, your mind, and your body. And the Enneagram is actually created that way where there are three in the heart category, three in the mind category, and three in the body category. And I would argue all of us, we relate to one number but we have a little bit of all of it, which again, we'll talk about tonight and it'll be good. So kind of square one, what I'm going to look at to become fully aware, we have to personalize our problems. We have to know what our problems are and, and what's stopping us from following Jesus. Okay. So here's our problem as followers of the way. Next, next point. It is your woundedness and wickedness that keeps you from full deliverance. Now I'm not saying you might lose your salvation. Not what I'm saying at all. That's legal. That's done once and forever. I'm talking about living a life where your soul is replenished, where you're enjoying the goodness of God now, not just when you're in heaven. Okay. That's kind of what this whole workshop is about. But there are two things, two primary enemies, two, two things the enemy uses is your wounds and your wickedness. Okay. So first woundedness in order for us to experience healing, we must first identify the wounds that Jesus wants to heal. 
So all throughout Scripture, there's always about this element of confession, right? Of this awareness and bringing it before the Father. Jesus wants to heal you, but he, he needs you to bring it to him. Now, I will say this, focusing like just on pathology, I don't believe is helpful. In other words, if, if, if it's just about woundedness, it makes us where we're all the victim. And, and if we always just stay the victim, we never get victory. Amen. Right? So, like, we can't just play the victim card and just, oh, oh, poor me. At the same time, wounds are real. This world is evil, and people have done evil things to you. And not even that, we all have parents. And they messed us all up. Amen? One of my favorite things to do is to do genogram, where you do your family tree, and you identify the great things about your family, but also the bad things. And don't you hate it? Like... The worst thing I can tell my wife, and I hope your, your mom's not listening, Jordan, but like you don't ever say, that's just like your mom. You don't do that, you know what I'm saying? Especially if it's something negative. I never say that, though. That was just year one marriage stuff. I figured that out fast, amen? But the wounds, here's the thing. We have to identify our wounds because, because of our wounds, we actually don't let God love us. And because of our wounds, we wind up doing wicked things to others. Wounds manifest themselves into wicked actions. Your shame generates wicked things to other people because you're trying to cover up your own identity. Okay, so let's look at the heart, the mind, and the body. So the heart, when it comes to woundedness, the heart triad, which is the twos, threes, and fours. Anybody raise your hand if you, you scored in the twos, threes, fours. Awesome. Your category, you struggle with various forms of shame. And I would argue we all struggle with shame, amen? So again, like for me, the way I tested is my number one result was a seven, which is in the mind. My number two result was a nine, which is the body. And my number three result was the three, which is the heart. So I'm perfectly balanced. You know, whatever, not a big deal. Um, but we all struggle with this and I think it's helpful. What is the heart? What is the struggle? Here's, here's what you believe. And we bring this into the way of Jesus. If I stop pushing my image, then I'll be found worthless. So twos, threes, fours love to share hunting stories. Huh? It was that big. You know what I'm saying? It's like do everything divided by 10. Amen. Then that's usually the, the right answer. Um, but there's something in your childhood or just the way you're like, I don't know what it is. I'm not a counselor. I'm not smart and all this stuff. But I do know a lot of times with, with, with shame and image, your parents thought you were never good enough. Your parents said that you're different you know, get normal, all sorts of stuff, and you struggle with shame. And here's the biggest things you, you crave. You, you crave approval and affection. It's what you want in life. And so maybe you actually, in your teenage years, jumped after boyfriend after boyfriend or girlfriend after girlfriend, trying to feel loved and have affection. Now, are we designed for approval and affection? Yes. In Christ, we are approved. In Christ, we are loved. And so you long for connection. And so here's what you'll notice in your relationship with Jesus and in your relationship with the church and in your relationship with the world. This isn't on your notes, but you can write it down if you'd like. Like twos, for example, you avoid being needy. So in your relationship with Jesus as a two, you don't ask Jesus for nothing. That's too needy. That's the person who says there's enough pain in this world I'll take care of myself, and so you spend your whole time praying for other people. Right? A three, you avoid being a failure. 
So for some people, that means you don't even take risks because you don't want to look bad in front of your friends and your colleagues and your peers. For other people, you failed, but you convince everybody you didn't, right? You just exaggerate how everything went. You exaggerate the numbers. For a four, again, this is all, especially a four would think this, um, and by saying that, that's bad. I, I know there's generalizations here, so, so just take it as a grain of salt. If it doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to you, but these are general principles that usually apply. As a four, you avoid being ordinary. You don't want to be just like everybody else. You want to stick out. Why? Because you have shame, and you want to hide that shame, and you want to say, you know what? No, I am something better. All right, so, so that's that. So are, do you struggle with that woundedness? This is very important because we're going to talk about practices of Jesus at the end of this. And you must understand if you struggle with shame, that will inform some of the practices you have to get really intentional with to fight against that shame. Now for your mind, this is the one I'm, I'm a part of. Who is a five, six, or seven? Raise your hand. Right on. Um, for, a, uh, for the mind, you struggle with various forms of fear. I can't tell you. I struggle with fear a lot and when it comes to health so how do you think my 2020 has been going amen i it just i don't like it um and yeah i'm not gonna yeah i can keep going here's kind of the, the phrase you believe i will sink if i don't keep swimming so to avoid pain and to avoid trials you just think if i just work hard enough i won't get hurt the bad things won't happen because I plan, I plan for it. I planned against it. We're going to succeed. So again, it's really helpful to do a genogram, figure out your childhood. Why was fear really imposed? Was it stoked? Was, it, was there something that, uh, did you lose a childhood friend? I know for me, I had a next door neighbor that committed suicide. I had an aunt who always struggled with illness that I prayed for all the time. That affected me. And I'm not saying, oh my gosh, well, like, of course, like, yeah, like, I needed to know that. I shouldn't have been protected from that. But guess what? Because of all of that, at a young age, it affects me. Like, I've always been scared of illness. I've prayed against illness my whole life. And so I automatically assume it's going to happen to me or my loved ones and that kind of thing. Now, what do you crave? You crave security and survival. This is so important because when you're thinking about the practices of Jesus, you'll recognize you do certain things to find security in things other than Jesus. And so now you need to rewire your mind, rewire your heart, rewire your body so that you're completely giving your trust to Jesus alone. For example, security, maybe for you, you are a saver. Sixes especially, you save money. A practice, an easy one. Jesus, I just read this morning about the rich young ruler. What did Jesus say to do? Sell all your possessions to the poor. Because he knew that was the one thing he found more security in than Jesus. And so as a six, you need to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe, but even more than that, I don't want money to own me. I want to own money, but I don't want money to own me. So I'm going to give above and beyond, and I'm going to bless people, and I know God will take care of me. Right? You see, I want to see how, 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 how these things connect. So for example, fives, you avoid feeling empty, which is why you research all the time. Right? You're all, it's like, oh, you don't like the feeling of just not having something to say or something to do. Uh, sixes, uh, you avoid taking risks because failure is just on the other side. And for some reason, you're terrified of falling flat on your face. As a seven, I avoid feeling pain at all costs. So that manifests itself in many ways. For me in my own life, it manifests itself, I love food. Because to me, it's like a, a way to just, you know, not think about the pain. I love movies. 
Like when my grandfather died, the worst thing that's happened to my life at that point, my hero passed away, I went and saw Godzilla. I hate that movie now, you know? Because I was like, why did I do that? But I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how to figure this out, and so I went to the movies. I hate Godzilla. Okay, it's not Godzilla's fault. I don't even know if it's a good movie, but I was just sitting there like, what am I doing with my life? Body, when you keep moving. So for this, um, a lot of, the, in the Enneagram world, they call it the gut, but you struggle with voria, uh, various forms of anger. These are the eight, nine ones. Raise your hand if you're eight, nine, or one. I feel like that's a majority, right on. So here's what you believe. If I let my guard down, I'll be annihilated. So maybe in your genogram, your childhood, you had a dad that left. I'm, I'm talking real dramatic here, right? Maybe, maybe you had a parent you can never rely on. You had to take care of yourself at an early age. Or maybe um, sibling stuff is, is a big part. So maybe you were the one who was always overlooked and not taken care of. You weren't the oldest boy or you were the only whatever, you know. There's all sorts of genogram childhood stuff that you have to kind of work through. Here's what you crave. And these are good things. You crave power and justice. Maybe because your whole life you feel like justice wasn't served and you, and you didn't have the power that you felt you needed. You long for control. So for eights, you avoid seeming weak. Time and time again, the people who look confident, I finally learned, they're the least confident person in the room, right? The one trying to prove to you, I ain't scared of nothing. Oh, you're scared of a lot of stuff then because you've been mentioning it. You know, nobody asks nothing about being scared. You keep telling me you're not scared. I think you're scared, right? I ain't scared, right? Okay. Nines, you avoid engaging conflict. That's my mom. Just sweep it under the rug, right? And it was great. I loved it as a child. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, eh, whatever. Let's, let's move on, right? But it, it can manifest into a really big problem. Nines, you can get to that point where you just snap because you've been holding it back. No one knows you've had any issues with any problems. And all of a sudden, to them, it's just, but you're like, no, I've been, I've been letting you off for a while, and I'm done now. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? So this is good marriage stuff, too, by the way. Um, ones, you avoid getting annoyed. This is my wife. Um, she is a one. I love her. But sometimes I'm like, why are you so annoyed? And it's like, oh, she's a one. Got it. You know, so like she gets annoyed when people do the wrong thing, which I love because I don't care as much. It, you know, so like it, she keeps me righteous. Um, but she's a beautiful, she's the best. I see, I see the look right now. Um, she avoids getting annoyed, right? And she's annoyed with me right now. All right. And she wants to avoid it. Let's go. Talk about marriage advice. Okay. Um, now here's the thing. We just need to know this. We can't dwell on this. We can't make this our life story, but you need to know it in order to get through it. Amen. We need to bring it before the father. For me, I struggle with fear a lot, but it's good for me to know that and not be blindsided because here's the thing. We always just blame the devil for tempting us, but we got to start blaming him for discouraging us too. He knows how to discourage you in a moment. And we just think, oh, it's all the bad sins. That's what the devil wants me to do. He would be so happy just for you to have a rotten day and for you to doubt the providence of God in your life. Right? Okay. That was like, this means I'm preaching if I'm over here, and then we're back to workshop. Okay. So the world, the flesh, the devil, they will use your wounds to wound you. So we need to understand our wounds, articulate them, and I think that's why the Enneagram is more helpful than, let's say, Myers-Briggs, because the Enneagram talks about your wounds. Why do I, as a seven, why am I an entertaining optimist? Because I'm terrified 
of pain. So because of that wound, because I've experienced pain, which I had such a easy childhood, but whatever. I just, I still have problems. We all do. Um, because of that, there's a reason I'm so outgoing because I'm terrified of silence, right? All that kind of stuff. Now, wickedness. This is fun stuff, right? Galatians 5, 16 through 21, you have a bunch of works of the flesh. If you want to turn there, that you can. It's just on your notes. Um, but it mentions... Uh, here's the works of the flesh, and there's all sorts of stuff. And here's a list, too. A lot of this is like the seven deadly sins and all that. For the heart, if you're in the heart triad, um, which, again, heart triad is twos, threes, fours, you struggle with pride. What's funny is twos, they're seen as, they're, I'm the helper, but that's actually because you're too proud to be helped. Uh, you struggle with deceit. Threes especially um, like to exaggerate because it's shame, right? Like, I want to be known as something greater. So it's, it's a sin. It is wicked for you to deceive people. That is literally one of the number one ways we describe Satan. He's diabolos. He is diabolic. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. Envy. This one's big. Um, we envy, and so that actually leads us to do wicked things to others, to take from others what we think that we deserve. Mind. A lot of the mind, the triad, which is um, five, six, sevens, uh, you can struggle with greed, which is kind of self-explanatory, but it's not just money, by the way. It's greed for, for control, that kind of thing. Uh, fear, again, as a seven, that's the one I lean into the most, and so it's just assuming that tomorrow everything's going to crash down. Oh, sorry, that's a six. My apologies. Yeah, uh, seven is mine. Gluttony. Uh, gluttony is just overindulgence, so we immediately think food, um, which is true. But it's also overindulgence in anything that just brings pleasure. Now, does God want you to not live, a, like, have pleasure? Of course he wants you to have pleasure. But he doesn't want you to overindulge in pleasure because it winds up hurting you. Right? So, and then the body, lust. A lot of people think this is sexual, which is true. But also just a lust for power and control over people. Uh, sloth. So this is nines. You actually lean. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's wicked to be a sloth. It's wicked to be lazy. And, and, and sometimes you're lazy to yourself. You don't take care of yourself or you're lazy to certain loved ones because you're so, you're giving yourself over to other people that you care for their opinions about, but then you wind up being lazy about people who really need you. Uh, and then, and then anger. Uh, these are ones, uh, and, and the anger about like, and it could be self-right, it could be righteous, but it could also become self-righteous. Uh, I need to get moving though. So uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and following, is the antithesis of those things. So for the heart, the Spirit empowers us to have faithfulness, to be gentle, to live with joy. With the mind, He actually enables us, the Spirit enables us to love people. He enables us to have peace and not fear. He enables us to have self-control and not gluttony. For the body or the gut, he's able us to have goodness instead of lust, to, to be kind rather than lazy, to be patient rather than angry. It's the Spirit who empowers us. Now, how do we, here's the problem, how do we start the fruit of the Spirit and stop the works of the flesh? This is what tonight's about. How do we, it's not just enough to say, I want that. Yeah, I want to be fruit of the Spirit. How do we actually enable ourselves to do that on a regular basis? And I think for too long, number one, we've ignored our wounds. If we, don't know our wo if we do not know our wounds, we do not understand our motivations, right? So that's helpful to understand your wounds. I think number two, we actually need to get a little bit more nuanced about how wicked we are, right? Like too often we just say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Did you sin this week? Yeah, me too. All right, forgive me of my sin. All right, let's move on. 
That does not help anybody, right? And so we have to be very intentional. Say, okay, here is where I'm prone to. Okay, here is where Jesus could satisfy me, but I'm, but I'm looking for it in other directions. And the other hard part is a lot of people, when we try to just start using fruit and stop using the flesh, we try to use guilt to get us there. We try to guilt trip us. You're a Christian. You can do better than that. Be fruit of the Spirit, not works of the flesh. And so you, you try to get enough willpower, and you don't do it, right? And the sad fact is a lot of us begin, our, begin to see our Christian life as, I've gone as far as I can go. I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to have that lust problem. I'm always going to lack self-control. I'm always, but you know what? I'm going to keep giving to my church. I'm going to show up every week. I'm going to serve, and I just can't wait for heaven. I'll finally get rid of this stuff. What if I told you transformation is possible now? So how do we get there, though? And of course, this is all powered by the Holy Spirit, but I do think there's some intentionality we can do in our part to invite the Holy Spirit in. You guys with me still? All right, good. Okay, so here's the next point. Your Christian life will be that of frustration if you are not intentional with spiritual formation. I talk to a lot of y'all. You're frustrated. You're frustrated. You try hard. You still struggle with the same sins. You're frustrated that you don't look more like Jesus, that your marriage is falling apart, all these things. And it's like, God, I've been showing up on Sundays. What else am I called to do? And the reality is we have to understand that formation is happening every single day. And so formation is essentially, it's always your habits. Your habits are forming you. And the reality is Silicon Valley is, train, is the new monastery and it tells you when to check your phone. It beeps you, right? It tells you. Do you know the monastery used to have the, the bells? Well, like they're, they're still around, just not around Arizona much. But with the bells, you know what the bells meant? Stop everything you're doing and pray. Like it would be nice for us to have that back in our lives again. But we get really fearful of being legalists, so we just say, no, don't do that. But guess what? There's another bell ringing every day. And it's not calling you to prayer. It's calling you to something else. And you, you, call, you answer to it. So knowing that, we have, to, we have to be intentional because we are all unintentionally being formed every single day. By the narratives we hear in media, by, by everything. And I don't want to go too far into that, but, but it's true. And so it actually happens to us without us even realizing. Like even the simple, I think a lot of us, we're really struggling with politics right now because, man, for forever it seems. Movies has always made it seem, and I get so pumped when a, when a villain is, you almost want to root for him. I know this sounds terrible, but like, because it's like, oh, this isn't a simple character. He's not just bad. He has some good in him. Right, Caleb? Aren't those like way better movies? I know that's like the case for Black Panther. They're like, oh, like you can kind of tell why he got to that point. And that's like, well, anyways, um, in narratives, we've always learned there's easily a bad guy. He's very identifiable and there's always a good guy. And guess what? You're the good guy. So anytime we see somebody different than us, we've been trained to know if you're different than me, you're the bad guy. And we just paint everybody in broad strokes, right? There's all sorts of stuff. We're being formed every day. So we have to get intentional with our hearts. We have to get intentional with our mind, and we have to get intentional with our body. So, number one, it starts with the heart. That's why it talks about giving your heart to the Lord. At, at, its very, at the bottom, we are creatures of desire. We do what we want to do. So what we have to train our hearts is to say, okay, God, there is nothing better than you. Augustine put it this way, um, St. Augustine. He says, you have made us for yourself. 
and our hearts are restless until they can rest in you. That was my daughter who just said amen, and I am so proud. That's my girl right there. Good job, Trent. Amen. <laughs> Speaking of my heart. Uh, anyways, so in many ways, you are what you love. Right? You are what you love. What do you love? Well, let's talk about the mind. We have to understand this as Christians. What you think does more than you think. Every, everybody is shaped by ideas. And so we have to be careful about the intake of information that, that we're receiving. And then also, here's the one I think most of us miss out on because we're so scared of becoming religious. What you do, this is your body, what you do shapes what you love. So you can say all day, I love God with my heart, but if you do certain things with your body over and over again that are pursuing love outside of the kingdom of God, your heart will begin to love that more than the Lord. Does that make sense? Your body, what you repeatedly do, shapes who you become. It shapes your loves. It shapes your desires. Which again, which is why I'm, I understand being terrified of society today because we have been trained to do certain rhythms, certain uh, practices with our body, and it leads us to not being affectionate for the Lord. If you feel like, man, I don't love Jesus anymore, right? And I've always, I wanted to, and I go to worship on Sunday and I sing my heart out, but my heart just doesn't feel there. Well, it may not, it, it's certainly a heart problem, but it might even start with your body problem, with, with what you're doing with your mind and all those things. They all work together, okay? So some churches, their solution, it's a heart thing, so let's just worship louder. Let's have another service. Other churches, it's a mind thing, so let's have more workshops. Let's learn more. Let's get some more theology, and then we'll change. Other churches, it's a body thing, so let's do more. Let's make sure we wear the right things, all this stuff. The reality is, it's a little bit of everything, and here's the thing, it's not mass-produced. God wants to individually work on you, and He's doing very particular things in your particular season of life. Got it? So that makes it harder as a pastor, because I can't just say, okay, everybody do this. But it's so much more rewarding when we go through that hard work of recognizing what is God calling you to do particularly in this season of life. Man, I have to hurry. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. They ask him, what's the greatest command? Anybody know? Love the Lord your God, what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything we're talking about this. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. That defines all of the law and just those two commands. And those two commands, is, it's called the practices of Jesus. How to put that into place? We call them the practices of Jesus. Which you can call them practices because for us, we're not performing. We're just, you know, you can fail. We're just practicing. Nobody's keeping score. We're just doing over and over. So uh, we have this split up into four different categories of your time. So you have God time and gather time, group time and go time. So there are certain practices that fall within those categories. And the best way is to recognize, okay, how am I spending my time in these four areas? So I would say loving God is particularly in the God time and gather time category. So for God time, this is the one I'm probably most passionate about. I think some pastors, they lean, you know, all of us have our leanings. I love talking about this and I love helping people with this the most. Uh, so we put uh, on, on your list uh, silence and solitude, which I think it's funny I put that as number one because that one like that takes a while to get there. Um, but silence and solitude, just spending time with the Lord and just letting him, just being with him. That's time with the Lord. Uh, number two I put on here is fasting. So this is, you, you, are, you are not partaking in food and you are giving your full attention to the Lord. Here's another quick tip about fasting. 
I know like a lot of, man, we do college ministry and a lot of college students, a lot of college dudes just struggle a lot with lust, right? I mean, if you're a man and a woman, that's just part of the conversation, right? Fasting, this is what's amazing. If you fast, here's one nice byproduct. You are training your body to not give in to the desire for food. What it's also doing, you're training your body not to give in to other desires, does that make sense? So if you, you can do a small win, okay, I know, man, it's easier for me. I'm not going to partake in this food. And then during that, I'm going to give my time to the Lord. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible, go out for a walk, whatever. You'll actually find the victories are easier to fight the flesh in other areas of your life. So that's why it's really helpful. John Wesley actually said his whole church, the Methodist movement, which has totally changed compared to when he started it, but they fasted twice a week. It was just assumed. Throughout church history, most Christians fasted twice a week. Today, most have never right? Sabbath. And um, we're going to put up a talk online that we just did for our workplace workshop. We talked all about Sabbath, but it's resting for 24 hours. And prayer. I need to hurry. Gather time is just worship coming on Sunday morning. Service. This means coming to the service, but also serving at church on Sunday morning Um, or Sunday night. Huh? Fashion Creek on Sunday night. Got to get used to that. Um, Giving. Giving is a gather time practice. We're coming together. We're giving. We're giving to make sure we're all taken care of. We're giving to neighbor and able to, um, to further the mission. And also, you know why we're also giving? So that money doesn't own us. We own money, but money doesn't own us. And so a lot of it is a heart posture. It's saying, God, I trust you. And that is a bodily way to show God that you trust. It's a bummer because we all give online now. So it's, I'm, I guess I got to start doing this rather than this. You know, you're not giving my phone. You're, anyways, um, giving is a practice. If you struggle with trust, start giving. See what God does in your life. Communion, partaking in communion, being reminded of the gospel. It's a bodily thing. I think that's really important. Loving others is group time, go time. You have fellowship, Bible study, confession, conflict resolution. Um, Hear that nines. And then go time, you have hospitality. So this is with your non-believing friends. You bring them over for dinner. I said one time, what if all of us, instead of making demonstrations out of people, what if we all started making dinner for people? How much change can happen? This is Jesus' primary method of evangelism, uh, which is evangelism is the next thing, sharing the gospel, peacemaking. So this is actually um, caring for your city, caring for your neighborhood, making it a better place, overall shalom and disciple making, which we believe begins before conversion. You guys with me so far? I know this is kind of a lot, but I'm so passionate about this, and I knew I had to just keep cramming stuff in here because we only have one session on this. I am passionate about the practices of Jesus, and I am passionate for us to know that it's part- in, 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 in a very real way, it's particular to you. Like fasting, for example. Maybe for you, you don't fast from food. You actually have a you have struggle with food. You, maybe you actually struggle with being bulimic. The last thing you need to do is fast. But maybe you need to abstain from your phone more often, right? So you see, these principles overall are always the same, but it actually manifests in your life in a particular way, in a particular season. And so it's really helpful. So the next category in understanding the practices is you have releasing practices and feasting practices. Releasing are getting rid of. It's like fasting, right? It's okay, I'm holding on to this thing because of my, my uh, I crave approval and affection, I'm gonna get rid of this, right? I crave security, but in the wrong way, so I'm gonna let go of that. I crave, I crave power, but I'm gonna let it go in this way. So for some examples for releasing practices, if you crave security, I guess I've already said this enough, but you're, you're more intentional in giving your money because that's not easy for you. You have to be very intentional and do it even though you don't wanna do it. Uh, if you crave power, 
Maybe for you, you have to get really intentional with serving. You have to really, okay, I, I'm not gonna, maybe even this, you have to be intentional by not talking a lot. What if you're the person who's always talking the most in the room? Okay, no, that's actually me being power hungry. So today in this meeting, Jesus, I believe you would actually be the one that talks less. I'm gonna talk less today. Or, you know what, Jesus, he even has a a parable about this. I do a power move where I sit at the head of the table every week during our business meeting. I'm going to sit down at the the lowest rank because it's greater honor for for somebody to say, hey, you sit at the head than if you're at the head and you're brought to the end. Anyways, that's that's a good good example. Um, If you crave approval, here's a big one. You're intentional with the practice of secrecy. Now, most of us think, oh, secrecy, that's evil, right? No, it's like paying for somebody's dinner, but not being like, and then leaving. No, it's just paying for the dinner, saying, don't tell, don't tell them. Right? Recognizing somebody needs a new truck. Well, that's a big one. You just give them a new truck. My truck's not working. I, I guess I just felt that. I, I, <laughs> but you crave approval. So honestly, maybe you're, you're, you're into, you know what? I'm going to release that, trying to be the spotlight. I'm going to spotlight somebody else today. I'm going to make a big deal about somebody. Jesus would do that, right? What about if you crave survival? That usually manifests itself in overworking. You know what? This week, I'm going to Sabbath for 24 hours. I'm turning everything off. I'm not thinking about work at all. I'm enjoying my family, and I'm going to enjoy God today. These practices, you have to identify your wounds and your wickedness, and there's always a corresponding practice to fight against it, and you become more like Jesus. It's not just, I don't know, God. I'm trying to love you more. Uh, well, I'm going to keep working. Like, you know, I'm just keep overworking, but I'm thinking the right things. It's more than just thinking the right things. Okay, what about feasting practices? This is fun. So it's the fun stuff. Other people call it downstream practices, where you just go in the river and it takes itself because it's so easy. If you enjoy people, throw parties. Jesus loves throwing parties, right? Make dinners for people. Have fun. Enjoy with your mask on. Uh, if you enjoy reading, Buy a lot of books about Jesus and read them. Enjoy learning random things about God, right? If you enjoy music, use your talents, or maybe you don't have talents, but still worship Jesus with them, right? All these things, there's these feasting practices. I say it all the time. I love eating a big meal on Friday night when my Sabbath starts because I love good food, right? And so that's a part of it. And you know what? It's me saying, God, thank you for this amazing thing. So what I'm doing in my own life yeah, I'll do it this way. Okay, so, so what I encourage you to do, there's, some, there's, some, um, there's four things right here for you to determine. I want you to figure out tonight, what is a daily feasting practice you can partake in? In other words, something that you will do every day, it's a practice of Jesus, that you enjoy. For me, I actually, I'm in a part, in a, a season of my life, it's not always true, I'm in a season of my life where I enjoy reading the Bible. I just do right now. Other times I don't. So I count that as my daily feasting practice. It's fun. It's the first thing I do in the morning, and I enjoy it. Some of y'all, that's your daily releasing practice. It's something you don't want to do, but you know it's for your benefit, it's for your joy, it's for your good, it'll make you look more like Jesus. You should have a daily releasing practice. For, for me, something I have to do daily is setting a time where I am done working. Because I can just keep tinkering here, tinkering there, and I need to give my daughters and I need to give my wife my full attention. So a daily releasing practice is to put those things aside, leave my phone in the other room, and pay attention, right? A weekly feasting practice. So for me, it's actually become Sabbath. So every single week, I am adamant, 5 p.m. 
Friday night to uh, 5 p.m. Saturday night, which I think is helpful starting it uh, at dinner rather than in the morning. Um, Every week, once a week, I'm going to do it and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy God's creation. I'm going to enjoy the things I love to do and I'm going to enjoy my family. A weekly releasing practice. Again, this is pretty simple, but for me, it's fasting. It's hard, so I fast from, from breakfast and lunch. Maybe for you, it's just lunch or just breakfast or just dinner. I don't know. You do you, boo, right? But it's this weekly, this is hard, but my body, my mind, my heart need these practices, so I need to engage in it. For a lot of us, maybe a good weekly releasing practice is to share the gospel. It's terrifying to talk about the things of God to your coworkers or your neighbors, your family. What if you decided every Tuesday, I'm going to ask God to give me an opportunity to have a conversation about Jesus, and I'm not going home until it's happened. That is how change happens. That's how, like, stuff gets done. That's how people start coming in droves and get baptized. Not just because we meet and we love Jesus. I hope it works out this week. We're intentional. And we challenge ourselves slowly but surely and we become more like Jesus. Here's five lessons I've learned about the practices of Jesus and I'm done. Five quick principles I think are really good. And I think because there's a lot of fear, especially like with legalism and all this stuff, a lot of people push back and say I go too far. Number one, trying to behave like Jesus leads to death. Training to become like Jesus leads to life. So this is not an attempt to be perfect like Jesus. You will fail. It is an attempt though to love and be loved by Jesus, and it's training. I like the marathon metaphor. If I'm going to run a marathon, I'm deciding I'm going to run a marathon. Tomorrow, if I've never done any training, tomorrow I'm not going to run 26.2 miles. Tomorrow, I'm going to like ride a bike first, and like let's just start there, right, for like two miles, or maybe run a mile or a half mile, and slowly but surely begin this training program I, it doesn't, I love it when pastor said, it's not about where you're at in the, the yard line, whether you're 99 yards to go or one yard to go. The point is you're making progress. You're moving in the right direction. How are you training? God is gracious. He's not here with a scorecard. But how are you training? You're going to fail. You're going to stumble along the way. But overall, you still have the same goal. Number two, the practices are not removal to get approval. They are making space for God's grace. This is really important. So this isn't, okay, God, I took this stuff away. Now you must bless me. No. So for me, I tend to love these practices so much. I now think, okay, God, I've now manipulated you. You have to show up because I did everything right this week. You missed the whole thing. So fasting is not to gain God's approval, but it's actually for me to give him my attention. See the difference there? That's a game changer. Not to gain his approval, but to give my attention. That's what practices do. They make space in your life. They move things around. They get the phone out of the way. They get the news out of the way. They get all the fear, the shame, the anger out of the way. And you're able to be ministered to by Jesus himself. Grace, this one's big too. Grace isn't anti-practice. It is anti-performance. Okay, so rituals have the right place if you have the right heart. Rituals are great. I love that we still have wedding ceremonies. Oh, that's too ritualistic. No, it's a good thing. Rhythms, weekly practices, daily. This isn't you performing and trying to prove to God that you're strong enough. That's not it. But you know your heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? 
So I'm going to put in these things so that way on the days I don't want to do it, I still do it. And the days I do want to do it, I do it. And it's practice. Grace loves to show up in practice. It's not about performance, which is very religious. Performance, I was just reading, I think Matthew 24 this morning, the Pharisees did everything to perform and to show off, and God was not anywhere near that. The next thing, our practices have the power to forecast our future. What's really cool about this is if you put in these practices, it, you will become like Jesus. It's pretty amazing. You put in these practices with the right heart, and guess what? Transformation will begin to happen because you're making way for God to do what only he can do. Last one, and I'm done. Dwelling on God's love for me keeps discipline. Oh, sorry, I changed it. Dwelling on God's love for me keeps the practices from drudgery. It keeps the practices from drudgery. Here's the thing, and there's certain books I've read about the spiritual disciplines, and I just think this is the most miserable thing, but I want to be a good Christian. Shoot, I'm a pastor, so I have to do it, right? But that you miss the whole boat. But if it's realizing this is actually a betrothal to Jesus, and I'm doing this because I love God, but more important than that, I want to see how much God loves. Like, I want to experience the love God has for me. He already has it fully on offer. The point is for us is to make enough space in our life to receive it. So it's not about being the most holy person in the room. It's not even being about the most holistic person in the room. It's just about being loved by God. That is your primary motivation. And when it's being loved by God, you recognize the days you need grace, the days you need to sleep in, and you're okay with that, and you know he's okay with that. But overall, you're becoming more like him because you're doing the things he did when he was on earth. And you know that Jesus doesn't just offer us a better way to life, but he also offers us a better way to live. And these are what we call the practices of Jesus and our great desire again, at least for a takeaway tonight, is that we start to figure out what are some couple things I can do every day and a couple things I can do every week. It will be hard at first, but you will recognize it pays back in dividends. It is so good, and your soul is freed. You begin to feel whole again, which is what God created and designed you to live in.